why you've got a prophet that pours 12 barrels of water on a sacrifice and then asks the Lord to f- call down fire on wet wood, wet stone, wet uh, 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 sacrificial, uh, you know, bullock. And God calls down fire, and it don't matter how wet it is. So I'm going to mix my metaphors tonight, and I want to talk about being saturated. Sometimes we'll talk about being saturated by the river of living water, and other times I might kick over into being saturated, being consumed. That's another word for saturation, being consumed by the fire of the Lord. I want you to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 33, and I want you to turn to uh, verse 7. Exodus, chapter 33. In verse 7, I don't know how it is with you, but when I read the Word of God, I'm still finding things. I've read this before, and I understand it, but I just feel like uh, tonight we're going to see a little clearer picture of what exactly happened in this time period of Moses' life in ministry. Um, I'm going to set the stage real quick. Stay standing. Set the stage real quick. If you looked at verse 35 of 30. Uh, uh, verse 35 of chapter 32, it, it's after the they, they, Moses got the Ten Commandments, it's after he came down and they're dancing all crazy in front of a golden calf and he gets mad and the Bible ends that chapter with, and the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. But let me just kind of show you where, where Moses went. Ch- uh, verse 7 of chapter 33. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp afar from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation was, with, was with, without the camp. And verse 9, And it came to pass as Moses entered the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord spoke, or the Lord talked with Moses. This is where we're going to start And then I think we'll get to the place where I can begin to talk to you about that saturation principle, that saturation effect. Jesus, would you let your word be so clear today? Your word that's right here, the word that I've read, the word that I'm trying to hide in my heart that I might not sin against thee, would you let it be so alive and real in the hearts and the minds of each person here today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. I know it's hot. You can be seated. We... uh, it's just a hot day outside, and when you've got blacktop there and you've got brick, this poor air conditioner, as great as it is, is saying, help me. And, uh, but we could be better. New Life went three weeks without air conditioning. Their, their air conditioner broke, and so they had church without an air conditioner. They had church in their basement, so we could do that, but at least we have a little bit of, of air moving. If you sit to the sides, you'll be a lot cooler than if you sit in the middle. So if you're hot, move up. And sit on the sides. It's a lot colder on the sides. Hallelujah. Um, here you have Moses. Now, think about this at the moment. Moses, it, 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 what a height of his ministry. He has, he has seen the burning bush and had God speak to him face to face, if you will, out of that burning bush. He has gone back to his homeland back to the family that he grew up with, that Egyptian family, that same lineage, maybe perhaps even his brother, he looks in the eye and he says, God said, let my people go. This is the same Moses that had killed an Egyptian and took off running some 40 years earlier and hid himself on the backside of the desert. But something changes when you get in the presence of God. When you have a burning bush experience, it ought to affect your life to where you can stand in front of a Pharaoh and proclaim the word of the Lord. 
A plague goes forth, another plague, another plague. There's this waffling back and forth. Pharaoh says, all right, I'll let you go. Moses, You, why don't you take all the men and go out into the wilderness? And Moses said, no, it's either going to be all or none. And, and then another plague, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and then it's softened, and then it's hardened, and back and forth this roller coaster goes until the blood's applied on the doorpost. The death angel passes by. The firstborn of each one in the land of Egypt dies if they weren't covered by the blood. What, a, what a, a moment it would have been for Moses to grab his staff and be at the head of three million perhaps plus Israelites as they streamed out of the land that had called them captives for 400 years to walk boldly into the wilderness. Oh, I know they had that moment of terror in front of the Red Sea, but still God is with them. He lifts his staff. The Red Sea opens. They walk through on dry land. What a miracle it was. Moses is riding sky high. They murmured. They complained. God sent manna. God sent locusts. All are the, are, uh, a manna and, and quail. All of these things happen. And it, it kind of all comes to a spiritual peak on the top of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. All the people are camped around this mountain. There's a fence around the mountain. Can't get any closer to that fence. Don't touch the mountain. It's the holy mountain. You touch the mountain. The day you do, you die. But Moses is up there and Maybe it's Hollywood, I don't know, but you, you get the idea that there's a cloud at the top of the mountain and that you don't really see the lightning, but you see the flashes inside and you can hear the, the rumble and there's people down, down uh, at the bottom of the mountain that are afraid. But Moses is up there talking to God. God gives him the Ten Commandments hewn out of the rock and he, he grabs those two stones and with every swagger that Charles Heston could give in the Ten Commandments, he walks down there and there he sees them worshiping a golden calf. Now, I'm being real careful because you can't make doctrine out of just the, the, the history of what's happening, but I saw some things. Moses comes down with the Word of God. He talked with God. God talked with him. It, was, it must have been absolutely incredible. But he comes down and he gets mad. He throws the tablets down. He breaks them up, grinds them into powder, throws it in the water, makes everybody drink the water, and they're, they're dropping like flies. People are dying. And then, then God uh, grants them mercy and, and, and stays the plague. But this is what the Lord says. And I preached about it. In fact, I heard it. I heard it said at camp meeting. The Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence. Take you and the people which you've brought out of the land of Egypt into the land that I swear unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told you I would give you this land, and I won't go back on my word. Take all of you and head on to the promised land. But uh, I'll even send an angel, Moses. I'll send an angel, maybe Michael the warring angel. I'll let him go before you and knock out all the people, the Hezites, the Perites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites. I'll, I'll let you walk into a land that flows with milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. And that verse in the Bible, I've got it underlined in my Bible. And, and, and he, he, he gets there and he hears, uh, uh, Moses hears those words of the Lord. But something happens. It's what I read. So Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. Let me tell you, this was not the tabernacle that you think of. Remember, they haven't had time to build the tabernacle. God just gave him how to build the tabernacle on top of the mountains. This is not the tabernacle that you think of when we say tabernacle. Most commentators, I believe, will, will, will imply that Moses took his own tent 
And he said, something's happening. And look at the Israelites. They're, they're worshiping this golden calf. Now uh, thousands have died. And, and we're stuck in this, in this desert. And God himself has said he's not going any further with us. And Moses said, I can't have that. Moses gets his tent. And he goes, the Bible says, far away from the camp. And he puts that tent down there in the rocky, gravelly soil of that wilderness. He called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Now he told everybody, because the Bible says all could go. This was supposed to be a public place. He told them, you can come if you want to. If you want to commune with God, just come. Here's a perfect little place. It's a prayer tent, a prayer closet, whatever it might be. Thank you very much. Here's where you are. And it came to pass. That when Moses went out of the tabernacle and all the people rose up, they were expecting, what is this Moses going to do? He's talked with God. He's seen God. What is he going to do? Verse 9, it came to pass when Moses entered into the tabernacle. Now, I remember when they left Egypt, the Bible says that during the day, a pillar of cloud would lead them. And at night, that pillar of cloud would turn to a pillar of fire so they could see it. And it led them out until it got to Mount Sinai and then it rested on top of the mountain but the Bible right here indicates that when Moses knelt down in that tabernacle, that, that tent he called the tabernacle of the congregation, that the pillar of smoke, the pillar of cloud that was over Mount Sinai, it moved. And it, it hung over that tent where Moses was praying. And I'm gonna, you're, you're going to understand why this is important. The Bible says it stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And everybody there knew something was happening inside that tent of prayer that had never seemed to happen before until that moment the pillar of cloud just kind of went before them. But now when someone begins to pray, the Spirit of God, if you will, began to descend down. And so they watched that. They even says they worshiped. They, were, they didn't know what to do. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friends. After a while, Moses says, I've got I've to go talk to the people. And so he leaves that prayer meeting. He leaves that tent of prayer. But Joshua, the son of Nun, stayed behind. He was a young man, and he was the only one that the Bible indicates that did not bow to the golden calf. And because of that, Moses saw something in Joshua that would later play out in, in Joshua and, and Jericho and the leading of the Israelites. But Joshua stays Moses comes out. Moses says to the Lord, Listen, if I pray, have found any grace in thy sight, show me the way that I might know thee, that I might find grace in the sight. And, and the Bible says, My presence will go with thee and I will give you rest. And Moses said, that sounds good, but listen carefully, Lord. And it's verse 15 of chapter 33. It's underlined in my Bible. God said unto Moses, or, or rather Moses said unto God, Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going to take one step further. Because all of the goodness of the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey, the land in which we will eat from vineyards we didn't plant and drink from streams and wells we didn't dig and all of the goodness, none of that matters if I don't have your presence. There's not a promise on this earth that's better than being in the presence of God. 
There's not enough money. There's not a job. There's not a a family unit good enough that you could strive for. None of it matters if God's not with you. He says, I want your presence. The Lord said to Moses, all right, I've heard your cry. Verse 19, or verse 17, I will do this thing that you spoke of. You found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. What a promise. God says, Moses, I know who you are. I know you. And Moses gets a little, all right, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, all right, I'll make my goodness to pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I'll be gracious to whom I'm gracious. But you can't see my face. No man can see me and live. And so there's a place by me up on the mountain. Moses, I know you've already been on Mount Sinai, but I need you to come back. I need you to come back to where you first encountered my presence. And I need you to stand there. I've got a place by the rock. You're going to stand on that rock. And when it comes to pass, then my glory will pass by. I'm going to put, I need you to put uh, your face uh, into that cleft of the rock. And I'm going to cover you with my hand. And as I pass by, I'll uncover you. And you can see my back, but you can't see my face. So it happens. Moses treks back up that mountain. Earlier or later on, the Bible says that Moses spent time up there the first time. God carved out the Ten Commandments. God carved out the stone. But now he said, Moses, I want you to take some time. Carve me out two more tablets. Don't put anything on them, but carve them out. And so all night long or however long it took, Moses is carving another set of tablets. And he carries those those stone tablets, lugs them back up the hill. And he gets back to the top of that mountain where God was. And puts his face in the cleft of that rock and God's hand covers him. And then as God passes by, he, he opens it up and Moses was in the presence of God. Moses begins to write feverishly the words that God records. I mean, as fast as he could write. I don't know what exactly it was. It could have been clay tablets that he he was able to imprint on it. I don't know if he had to use a chisel. But he's feverishly writing everything that you see in chapter 34. He was there. Verse 28 of 34 says that he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat drink, he didn't eat bread or drink water, but he wrote on the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And he comes down off that mountain. He had been in the presence of God. He comes off that mountain with those two tables of testimony in Moses' hand. And he didn't understand what was happening. But as he walked down from the mountain into the camp, people began to cover their eyes. People began to, you know, shield their face. They began to turn away. He didn't understand, but it was because his face shone. This didn't happen the first time he went up and came down. Something had changed. Finally, Aaron sees Moses and pulls him aside and says, Man, you don't understand. Something happened up there on top of that mountain. You're glowing. Your face is illuminated. We can't even hardly look at it. We're afraid. Uh, Some of those Israelites are afraid to come nigh. And so he put on a veil. He got his little little veil and and he said, Well, let let me help you out for a minute. He says, Is that better? And he spoke to them with the veil on his face. And then the Bible says that after he got done talking to them, he went back to that tent in the 
backside of the wilderness afar off. He went back in the tent. When no one was around, he took off that veil. The Bible says the Lord spoke to him. And when he came out of the tent, his face shone. I tried to do research. I don't know how long this went. I don't know if Moses had to do this for the rest of his life or what. But at least for a while, when he was with the people, his face shone. And he'd go back and he would pray and he would uncover and he'd come back. The children. It's amazing. First time he goes up onto the mountaintop, he didn't change much. But that second time, something happened. And I want to tell you tonight, and I'm going to do my very best to make it clear, I don't have much longer to go because like it was this morning, the Lord didn't give me a whole lot. He just gave me a a kind of a, a paragraph, a synopsis. But I wanted to set the stage. The thing I believe that was different from Moses walking into God's presence the first time to Moses walking into God's presence the second time was that little tent called the Tabernacle of Congregation where Moses went and the glory of God came down. And what happened was the more Moses prayed and the more that Moses was in the presence of God, the more saturated he got. When he walked up on that mountain that second time, God saturated him him with his glory and what happened was whatever was put on the inside began to show up on the outside and if ever there would have been a moment that Moses would have walked around maybe with that veil on his face and it would have kind of faded he understood that the presence of God is not a one time fits all it's not a one time moment but Moses said even while I'm with these people I can feel the presence of God if you will slipping away it's like I think Isaiah or Jeremiah that said or Isaiah one of them said I'm an unclean person in the midst of an unclean people and Moses said I can't make it on just a one time experience with a burning bush I can't make it with a one time experience getting the word of God and I sure can't make it the second time I go up there I've got to make sure that it's not just the high points I remember in my life it's the days that I spent in a little tent called the tabernacle of congregation and it was there that Moses's life Life was recharged. It's the saturation effect. I, I'm convinced. I, I begin to realize it. And, and, and I, I, last not, uh, last Sunday, I talked about canning, and and we talked about sealed and preserved. And we 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 taught. I wanted to so bad, but I couldn't couldn't do what I I, I tried to get a cool little object lesson for tonight, but I I couldn't quite quite do it. Saturated. You can go and, and, and you can look up the saturation principle, the saturation effect. Saturation is, is how much of something is inside another thing. Uh, in meteorological terms, if we say that there is a 100% humidity, which I'm kind of confident that we've had that over the last week or so, when, when a meteorologist says that we are at 100% humidity, it means that the, the, the atmosphere can contain no more water. It, you can't have 101% humidity. It means that the atmosphere has accumulated all of the water molecules that it possibly can accumulate. It, it is saturated. How many of you have ever, in a, in a uh, science experiment, you take a piece of ferrous metal, 
Ferrous metal means it's metal that that's mag, you know can be magnetic, not aluminum, not copper, not brass, but steel or iron, something that a magnet affects. How many of you, as a kid, you would you took that piece of, of metal and you took a magnet and you would run that piece of, that magnet on top of that metal in one direction over and over and over, and then that piece of metal would become magnetic. Any of you ever done that? Awesome. Some of you are adventuresome. Go try it. It's a lot of fun. You, you can take it here. Let, let me help you out. You can go take you a, a, a sewing needle. Get you, here, here's what you need to do. Parents, this is your uh, Sid the Science, or what, what is that cartoon, that Sid the Science Kid. This is your idea. Take it home, do it. Get you a sewing needle. Take you a magnet and rub it. Don't, not back and forth. Pick it up and front to back. Pick it up front to back. Do that several times. And then put that on top of a little piece of cork and where, where it sits down like this and put it in a glass of water and you just made a compass. That needle will point to north. But here's the thing. Now, there's, there's all sorts. If, if I'm not real smart. I, 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 I'm a great Googler, and I can Google lots of things. I'm not, I don't understand the physics behind all of it. Some of you that are smarter might. But at some point, you can take a magnet, and you can magnetize that piece of ferrous metal. But the saturation principle is this. At some point, that piece of metal is so magnetized it can't get any more magnetized. It has been saturated. The ions and the and the, the neurons and the and, and all of those have they've been filled with the ability to be magnetic. It's a saturation principle. How many of you? Now, now, now that, that lost about three-fourths of you. So the rest of you, let me do this. How many of you wash dishes by hand? Not a dishwasher. All right? So uh Man, there's a lot of men that raise their hand. I'm impressed. That's kind of awesome. You get brownie points. How many of you use those sponges? They're yellow on one side and green on the other side. Everybody does. So you wash your dishes and they look really good and then you stick it up there and then, you know, you guys, you don't wash dishes for a whole nother week or something and you come back and that sponge is hard as a rock. You know what I'm talking about? So you take that sponge and you put it under water. What does it begin to do? It begins to soak up that water. That is, means that sponge is being saturated. That there, there's physics. That sponge can only absorb so much and then no more. You'll see that sponge kind of grow. Or you get those little, those little capsules that have the sponge animals in it and you put it in water and they grow. At some point, they don't grow anymore because they've absorbed all that they can. We're experiencing right now, although a couple days ago we did get a great rain, and I was thankful for that. I don't know if that was Tuesday or, or Wednesday, but we'd had a great rain. But how many of you have walked out to your yard when we've had a period of a long time of no rain, and, and your, your once pretty yard is now brown, and the dirt that you can see is hard as a rock. In fact, great fissures begin to open up in the dirt. Anybody ever seen that in your, in your yard? And then it begins to rain. For a while, now, now I'm gonna, let me, let me uh, just say this. If you want to know why every once in a while, now we've done a lot around this church by the help of many of you and, and your giving. We've, we've done and we're not getting near the water we used to get in our basement like we did. But every once in a while we'll get water in this, in this youth classroom right here. And the reason we get water there is because when the ground is really hard, and it decides to turn on and rain like it sometimes does, where it rains like 12 inches in two hours, the ground is so hard that the water can't penetrate in it fast enough and so the water stacks on top like it's on concrete and then it comes over the windows and there's nothing more we can do. But, but so, so just let me help you out. This is free. You don't have to pay for this. If you're hardened, 
If your heart has been hardened by sin and cynicism and doubt and, and fear, that's why we can have a great service where the rivers of God's glory are flowing through this place, but you can walk out of here unchanged because your heart is so hardened that all it does is kind of rolls off the top. But I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm believing that the people that I'm looking at right now as I preach, your hearts are not hardened. And so let me tell you about the saturation principle. Saturation principle is this, that ground that is so thirsty for water. I wanted to have a vase with the, as dry of, of dirt as I could in it, but I couldn't get the dirt like I wanted it. But if, if I would pour that water in that vase, you would see that ground greedily sucking in that water. For a while, it won't even look like it did anything. For a while, that ground that's so parched and thirsty is just sucking. It reminds me of the Bible verse that says, As the deer pants after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. When I'm hurting, when I'm dry, when I'm barren, I just crave the water of God. And it begins to pour in me. And I'm like that dry, desiccated sponge. And I begin to, I begin to release. But this is the saturation principle. At some point, that ground is completely saturated. Meaning that any more water that comes on top is going to run off. I want to just tell you tonight, and I felt it all this week, and like I said, I enjoyed our camp meeting, and this is what the Lord began to share with me. It's time for someone here to quit being greedy with the Holy Ghost. Some of you, first off, some of you are hardened and, and the Holy Ghost doesn't really affect you. Others, you, you get out of the flow too fast and you don't really get what you need. But there's others that you've just allowed, you, you love the presence of God and you bask in the presence of God and I do too. But can I tell you at some point, you have all the Holy Ghost you need. What you going to do with it? There has to be an outlet in order for the presence of God to keep filling you up. The Bible says, my cup runneth over. The, 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 the Bible says that there's an overflow. There is a, 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 God wants you to do something with the Holy Ghost. God never designed you to just be a glass that fills up and you sit on the counter and you do nothing with it. But he designed you to be poured out. And the reason he designed you to be poured out is because he knew he'd fill you back up again. There, there's two sides of this principle. One principle is the one is the person who just lives on the high. We, we have a youth revival, and man, you get filled to the top with the Holy Ghost, and then you go six months without God affecting your life. By the time you get done, that sponge is so dried, you have nothing left in your tank. And then hopefully you can get another one in six or seven months. But on the other side of that spectrum, is the child of God that's at every church service, that claps their hands with everything they've got, that loves God and there's nothing wrong with that, and you just keep, the Holy Ghost just keeps pouring out, and, but, but at some point there's nothing more you need. You are saturated. Here's the thing. That saturation, if you start using the Holy Ghost, the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. 
He said, I'll, I'll make you witnesses in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in the uttermost parts. Why? He said, because I want you to use what I'm putting in you. And the more you use it, guess what? The more it's going to be there. And the more you tell them, you'll never run dry. Your little oil, that cruise of oil in the Old Testament, that's just an analogy of you and I. Use it so more can go in it. Use it so God can fill you up again. Don't sit on the shelf and trophy of grace but why don't you say Lord you filled me with something tonight at church now where can I go be a recipient of that let me let me pour out what you've poured in me let me pour out what you've poured in me. It's Moses that realized that the more he spent in that tent of tabernacle, in that tabernacle of the congregation, the more he spent there, the more he could effectively minister to that those children of Israel. And what he was saying was, Lord, fill me. And I don't even care if you fill me till I overflow. But then give me a way to use it. Give me a way to tell somebody. And Lord, when I have done my ministry, I'm not going to just say I've arrived. But after I've ministered, I'm going to come right back into a place of prayer so you can fill me up again so I can use it. So I'm asking you tonight, what's your saturation level? I'm not asking you to raise your hand or tell me, but I want you to think right now. In fact, I want you to close your eyes. That way you can think better. How saturated are you? Are you dry? Are you parched? Are you desiccated? Or, or do you feel overflowing with the presence of God? My cup runneth over. Do you feel that God has poured himself into you? Now my question is, what are you going to do about it? For some of you, you need to find a tabernacle of congregation. For some of you, you need to find a place where God can pour his spirit out on you afresh. Where he can fill you up. Where all of those dry and thirsty lands can begin to expand again as he pours his spirit into your life over and over and over again. I'm telling you right now, get it for yourself. Get it for yourself. You can't minister until you've first been ministered to. So I'm telling somebody right now, you need all the God you can get. You need to come to every service. You need to have your hands raised for every worship. You need to let the presence of God overwhelm you. Let him flow into your life. Let him minister to you right now because you're dry and you're thirsty. But once he's done that, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? Are you going to use it so that he can pour back into you? Say, Lord, where can I go? You've, you, you've let me experience your presence. Now where can I go give that out to? Where can I take it? I want us to stand right now. God doesn't want you just to be saturated over and over and over again because at some point there's nothing more. I'm like, can I just be brutally honest with you today? One of the most frustrating things as a minister is knowing I preach the same thing over and over and over again and you've already received it and there's nothing more you need. It's frustrating. 
And I think God sometimes is that same way. God says, you know what? It's not about you tonight. I want to pour my spirit on something fresh. I don't want to just pour it out and watch it run over. But I want to pour it into someone that has used it. That's why Peter said, or I'm sorry, Paul said, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in tongues daily. I'm, I'm dying daily. I'm getting the Holy Ghost daily. Why? Because Paul was using it every chance he got. He understood that the more I pour myself out, the more he'll pour into me. But if you, if you don't ever give it away, the Lord will find the hungry. The Bible says those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. We say that again. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be till everybody says it. Let me help you out. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be. Do you want to be filled? Then you've got to be hungry and you've got to be thirsty. And the only way you're hungry or thirsty is if you've expended some energy. You've given of yourselves, which causes a thirst back. It's not, it's not a thirst because you're backslidden. It's not a thirst because you haven't been walking with Him. It's a thirst because you've used it. You've, you've, you've expended your energy. You've been a witness to Jude, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You've used it, and God wants to pour in. I want to be saturated by His presence, but I want to use what God gives me. I don't want to just... It's for me and me alone. Because at some point, you'll no longer be thirsty. And he'll pass you by for someone that's truly thirsty for his presence. I want us to begin to come. Let God begin to speak to you right now. I need your presence. I need your glory. I need your touch right now. Lord, it's a fire.